Hello and welcome to 90 Minute Escape, the podcast in which I dive into true crime cases and try to answer the question, what drives a person to commit murder? In today's case, coercive control plays a big part in it. And for those who may not know, coercive control is any pattern of behavior an abuser uses to dominate their partner and limit their freedom. This can include physical abuse and emotional abuse, but often coercive control is more subtle. This case also has a little bit of mental abuse or emotional abuse, which is basically a form of manipulation and control. And the effects of mental abuse are just as detrimental as physical abuse. So please keep that in mind as I get into this case. Now, please keep in mind that Richard is not around anymore. He's not here to share with us his side of the story. And all we know is Sally's account of the events that took place within their marriage or what her friends or family say. So you can have your own opinion on the case. I'm just more focused on how to prevent this type of things and how to notice the signs. So you can take from it what you can and I hope you can take something nice from it or you can learn something from this so let's get right into the case how did a 56 year old lady who is a mother and a wife from a small town in england end up killing a husband of 31 by repeatedly hitting him in the head with a hammer today's case takes place in a place called claygate in england and I don't know whether to call it the case of Richard Challen or Sally Challen because technically Richard is the victim of a murder. But in this podcast, I'm more interested in kind of trying to figure out what led Sally to committing murder. So please don't find offense. <laughs> I'm not trying to take anything away from the victim of the murder. We all know that Richard is the victim here. But I'm just trying to get into Sally's head. I won't really get into all the details of the case. I'm mainly going to concentrate on the coercive control and what could have led Sally to committing murder. If you're interested in getting the full details of the case, there's a documentary on the case, a really good documentary. And Sally actually does some narration in the documentary. She is fully present and she also has a number of interviews that she did and they're all up on YouTube. So if you want to hear more about the details of the trial and the case, then you can definitely go and check that out. Alright, so let's get a little backstory so that we can understand Richard and Sally a little bit better. When Richard was 22 years old, he met Sally, who at the time was 15 years old. Sally fell for Richard. To her, he was attractive and he was her first real boyfriend. She was so happy to be with him and so excited to see him 
whenever he came around that even her brother said that even before Richard was at the house just by her reaction and how hyped up she was you could tell who was gonna come to the house even before he arrived you couldn't tell that Richard is coming today that was how excited she was to be with him and how happy she was in the relationship they were obviously both in love with each other and everyone around them could see that a few years later Sally and Richard decided to take the ultimate step and get married they had two sons David who is the eldest son is mostly present in the documentary and he says that he had a pretty good childhood and he remembers that his parents always seemed to be in love when he was younger. David is really involved in the documentary. His other brother isn't really involved in the documentary that much but they both did play a big role in the case. So Richard and Sally they got married and Richard owned a garage like for cars you know where he like fixed cars and stuff and his business was doing really well. The couple was living in an upmarket house in an upmarket area and their sons were in private school. Richard and Sally were very social people. They loved to talk and hang out with their friends and they often threw dinner parties. They were the type of people that liked nice cars and nice jewelry. You know, they lived that kind of lifestyle. I think you can get like a good picture. But what people didn't know about Richard was that he was a different person at home than he was in public. Sally says that Richard was controlling when he was home. She often felt she couldn't voice her opinion, especially when it contradicted his opinion. Sally's friends and family began to notice that she was changing and not acting as a normal self soon after she got married. Her friends and family say that Sally was a type of person who talks a lot and if she was ever involved in something like a debate, she would have no problem voicing her opinion. But as time went on, she just didn't do that anymore. She just kept quiet. A mutual friend recounted a moment where he was with Sally and Richard and Sally was talking. Richard rolled his eyes and said to Sally, For God's sake, Sally, shut up. The friend thought Richard could have put or rephrased his sentence in another way but honestly he felt like there was nothing he could do he felt like that was a couple's place you know and I kind of understand him it's always hard when it comes to relationships and getting involved for me hearing this now and I'm thinking like, oh, if that was my friend and her husband was telling her to shut up, out this, this and that. But in reality, who knows how you can really react when you're in the moment because there is that type of thing where it's like, it's not your place to speak on someone else's relationship. But these are definitely signs that we can all take note of. A few years later, Sally got a job. She was working for the police federation and Richard expected Sally to use her pay to pay for just about everything including food and bills. 
I think Richard was paying for the children's fees, but other than that, Sally was basically paying for everything else. Now, Sally did not have to physically hand over her paycheck to Richard, but it was definitely expected of her to pay for these things. It's small scenarios like this that give us an inside look at what could have been the small events that led Sally to finally be in a marriage where she was being coercively controlled. For us, being on the outside looking in, it's easy for us to say, oh, why would she allow that? Oh, I would never do this or that. But I just want us to remember that it takes small scenarios to lead to lead into being in a full-blown relationship with mental or emotional abuse. This does not happen overnight. It takes years of little small events just piling up and piling up. One of the key moments in this case is the family's trip to America. A couple of years into their marriage and the kids were pretty grown up at this age, maybe though in their teens, Sally and Richard and their two sons took a trip to America. Richard had a longtime friend by the name of Delon who lived in Los Angeles and they were able to stay with him. A family trip to America with the kids and they also get to see an old friend. This should be a relaxing vacation full of happy memories but that is not how things went. One evening whilst they were in America, Sally says that Delon grabbed her and he kissed her. Now, Delon says that it was just a normal hugging kiss that he would do to any friend or any other person. That's he said, she said, I don't know. You can take it how you want to. <laughs> yeah. Either way, Richard saw this. And Sally says that he went completely mad. He forced her into their bedroom and he decided to punish her by forcing anal sex on her. He was brutal, but at the same time, he didn't say a word to her. Once they got back from their trip to America, Richard started calling Sally names like slut and other horrible things. He continued to anally assault her for a few more times after their return and Sally did not resist it. She just let him do it but she says even though she let him do it, it was too clear that she did not want it. Sexual assault and marriage seem like two words that cannot go together. But it's cases like Sally's and of other courageous women that share their stories that let us know that this is more likely to happen than we might think it is. As a woman, we often have different experiences compared to men when it comes to our bodies and sex and speaking up. I hope that learning about cases like this can open up the doors for more women to be able to have more conversations and learn how to prevent being in similar situations like this in their relationships. Being in a relationship does not give your partner 24-7 access to your body. Whether you are a woman or a man, it doesn't matter. Sometimes you're not in the mood or maybe you don't want to try something new. It's okay. No one should ever feel like they're forced into something by a partner.
yeah it's normal for your partner to bring up suggestions and be like hey you want to try this or you want to try that but being forced to do something nah that's just a huge no i think sally did often try to get out of sex by saying she had a headache but richard would still go ahead he would tell her to go upstairs and get washed and ready and at times he would even leave her waiting there for ages making her wait for ages is such a psychological move to me sort of like him trying to slowly assert dominance one of sally's friends recounted a moment when sally was not wearing a bracelet and a necklace that she would often wear she asked sally if she had left it at home or if she had taken it off sally then told her that richard had taken it away from her because she didn't quote <laughs> deserve it and he had taken them and locked them in a safe because he wasn't happy with something that she had done over time richard began to slowly lose interest in having sex with sally she actually tried to make things better she bought herself a pair of black boots and she laid on the bed and she was waiting for him but when richard finally came he told her that he didn't want to have sex because his back hurt Richard's behavior began to change even more. He became fixated with young women and his car and his motorcycle. There's this video of him where he's literally going like, here's my Ferrari and here's my bike. And it's so funny to me because this was like in 2003 at this time. And... I wonder what was the video for was it for him to like look back at like oh yeah i used to have this car and i used to have this bike or were people also posting things on social media back then it was just like a funny thing to me anyway there's another occasion where richard had a picture taken of him in which he was sat on the hood of his red ferrari and beside him let me paint this picture for you he sat in the middle on the hood of his red ferrari and beside him in either hand like in each of his hands he's got two naked young ladies and i'm talking completely naked like tits and booty cheeks out there <laughs> there's even one picture where one of the girls is posed with her legs basically wide open with only her hand covering her you know what these pictures alone are questionable for a husband a married man to have taken but there's more richard had these pictures printed onto christmas cards and he sent them out to his family and friends you can literally not make this up <laughs> you literally cannot make this up when one of his friends asked him about this weird christmas card he just said oh the girls happened to be there for something else making it seem like it was just like an opportunity that he took advantage of i don't know that is so embarrassing oh my gosh i'm just imagining as as a wife 
gosh, I'll be so embarrassed. But let's go on. Over time, Richard's behavior continued to change. He was barely home and he started taking salsa lessons. Sally began to be suspicious of his behavior, which is understandable. She found some Viagra pills and receipts from places where he was not supposed to be. There was a time she found a receipt for a theater basically maybe like a play or something i don't know what you guys watch at the theater and the time that the ticket was dated for was around the same time that richard was not even supposed to be in the country he was supposed to be in germany so sally asked richard about this she confronted him and she asked him about this and he said he is always picking up things on his shoes and that's how the receipt must have got there. Okay. <laughs> because picking up things from the bottom of your shoe is a normal thing that everyone does. Mm-hmm. And if you can't tell that I'm being sarcastic, then yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry if I'm laughing. I don't mean to be disrespectful. It's just because what he's saying is just so like, I can't even understand it. It doesn't make sense to me that it's kind of funny so i'm not laughing at what sally is going through i'm just laughing at how absurd these excuses are sally's oldest son david remembers arguments in which richard would tell her you're going crazy sally you're making it all up it's all in your head now if this isn't gaslighting i don't know what is Anyone who has experienced gaslighting can relate to how triggering this is. It is such an internal struggle when you have to make a choice between what you see or feel is real and what the person you love and trust says is real. Sally then began to google numbers that Richard was calling two to three times a week. She found out that it was a number belonging to a brothel Sally decided to go to the brothel and wait outside for Richard. She saw him walk into the brothel and she waited for him to come out. And as soon as Richard saw her, he ran away. He literally ran away. As if they're all going back to the same house. Okay. So they went back home. They had a huge argument even her son remembers this, you guys. Kids remember things. Even her son remembers this. And for some reason, Richard also cried. I don't know what that's about. Sally increasingly became more stressed and she drank more. She even smoked more. Even her friends said that she was getting tired of hearing about Sally complaining about this all the time. She felt like it was literally never ending. Fast forward a little while later and the brothel Richard visited actually was raided by the police. There were connections to women trafficking. This was on the news and it seems Richard was known to be a part of it. Like his friends and family knew about this. Things changed after this. Even his friends would try to avoid going out to places where they knew that Richard was there because they don't want to be associated with him anymore. Sally eventually left Richard in 2009. Although she didn't really move far away from Richard, it was just about a 15-minute walk between the houses. 
and her elder son David stayed with her while her younger son James stayed with Richard. This was technically the first time that Sally was living alone and even though she was with her son she had moved from her parents house and then she had moved on to living with Richard so this time she was basically doing everything by herself you know even though she has a son it's kind of alone she would often contemplate going back to Richard she would often tell her friend maybe if I go back this time it will be different all she talked about was Richard and it was more devastating when she realized that Richard was talking to women online and he seemed happy. He was going on dates. Literally, he was thriving. He was enjoying life. And one day, Sally decided to email Richard. This is the email that she sent Richard. I'm going to read it for you word for word. She says, and I quote, Richard, I miss you. And I really mean that. I thought we would grow old together. I want to be with you. I'm sorry I left. You are my life and I love you. Signed S with two kisses XX. And I close the quotation. <laughs> now, everyone who has been through a breakup knows how hard it is. It is more like mourning the loss of a life. I cannot even imagine how worse it would be when you are married and you have taken vows and now you have divorced someone. And to even make matters worse, the other person is moving on faster. It was sad to see Sally write that Richard was her life. Oftentimes we see so many people who fall into the trap of having their life revolve around their partners these days we know just how detrimental that can be that's why it is completely understandable why she was having such a hard time moving on when you make someone your life and then that person gets ripped out of your life you won't know where to start it's dangerous you know really dangerous Richard then proposed that he and Sally should have a post-nuptial agreement. Now, I didn't even know that a post-nuptial agreement was a thing. I've heard of pre-nuptial agreement, but this is weird. After a divorce, why would you have to have an agreement over something? Maybe if you have kids, I can understand that. But this was, that was really strange for me. But, but now, you have to like hold on to your seat or hold on to something once I tell you what was in this agreement. Like I said, Richard isn't here to defend what Sally might say. But this postnuptial agreement here was written by him and it was sent to Sally. So take from it what you want. I'm just going to read what's in it. I won't read the whole thing. I'm just going to read the terms or the conditions of the postnuptial agreement. So basically, these are Richard's terms. So this is what he wrote and I quote <laughs> I will consider your return only on these terms you will continue and complete the divorce with a 200,000 pound settlement that when we go out together it means that 
together. This constant talking to strangers is rude and inconsiderate. We will agree to items in the home together. To give up smoking. To give up your constant interruptions when I am speaking. Close quote. (laughs) Now, again, I'm not laughing at this situation. I'm just laughing at how ridiculous it is. How ridiculous these conditions are. There's a lot of questionable conditions listed here, but his friend was explaining this whole 200,000 pound thing and it's crazy. Basically, if either Sally or Richard decided to break up and Sally was meant to only take 200,000 pounds from all their joint family assets, might I remind you that this was a well-off family. They had a nice house they were living in a nice neighborhood he had a ferrari and he had a motorcycle and he had a business they were gonna take all the assets from these things and only give sally two hundred thousand pounds if they separated that is insane from this post-nuptial agreement it was showing how richard was still setting this type of controlling environment in their relationship i mean don't talk to strangers stop smoking don't interrupt me you and me would look at these conditions and run but for sally this was an opportunity she didn't want to lose him again she even emailed him saying do you think we'll ever remarry she was clearly still hopeful that they could have a happy future together richard's response to this was maybe never say never fast forward and sally ended up agreeing to the conditions richard said that they could begin with seeing each other once a week this was so that he could see if she had changed i'm so triggered right now at this point sally's self-esteem was in a terrible state sally had looked on richard's computer Others say that she hacked it, that she hacked his computer. I heard them say that. I don't know, you can take from that what you will. And when she was on his computer, she saw that he was messaging other women. So in 2010, Sally went to Richard's house to pay him a visit. When she got there, he insisted that she go to the supermarket and buy bacon and eggs for her to make him something to eat he was hungry he wanted something to eat sally felt this was all richard's way of getting her out of the house she had a feeling that he wanted to make a phone call while she was away to the lady that he was dating keep in mind this is after the post-nuptial agreement which means that they're working on getting back together Mm mm-hmm yeah when she returned, she noticed that the telephone had been moved from where it was originally and it was in another place. She had a look on the telephone and she could see the last number that he had called. It turned out to be the number of a woman. Sally asked him, am I going to see you tomorrow? And he said, don't question me. Don't question me. 
It was as though something flipped in Sally's head. Richard had bent over to eat the breakfast that she had made him and she grabbed a hammer and began to hit him over and over and over again in the head. She just could not stop. She hit him about 20 times in the head. Sally then proceeded to stuff a tea towel into Richard's mouth. She wrapped him up in old curtains and wrote a note written, I love you, and signed Sally and placed it on top of his body. She then turned and did the dishes and left. The most saddening thing about this is that this was a house that her sons were living in. After this happened, it was hard to wash out the blood from the floor and everywhere it was. The kids still had to live in this house. Even though they were older at this time, their children had to live in this house and wake up and still be able to see their father's blood on the floor. Can you imagine how messed up that is? And what's even more messed up is that David, the oldest son, he had to identify his father's body. This is a horrible thing for him to have to keep in his memory. This isn't like someone got shot one time. He was hit like 20 times in the head. He is obviously not looking like his normal self anymore. You can just imagine the terrible state that Richard must have been at that time. And his son had to look at that and now he has to live with that image in his head. This is why even though I am taking a look into why mental health can lead someone to kill or why coercive control can lead someone like Sally to kill. These are the reasons why murder is never the answer. Because from what she has done, her son also had to suffer. Seeing that image, seeing the blood, that is a horrible thing for someone to have to go through. And they also lost a parent. Both of the sons lost a parent. I'm not excusing what Richard did. He did horrible things. But it leads us to ask the question of, just because someone does horrible things doesn't mean that they deserve to die. I don't know. That's up to you. The biggest question in this case was basically, was this premeditated murder? In her first statement, Sally had said that she had grabbed the hammer from the counter. But later on, she recounted that statement and she said that she came with the hammer in her bag to the house that's a big change in the story that's what leads everyone to think was this premeditated did you come to his house with the intent to kill richard or was this a spur of the moment a crime of passion those are two big different things and if you if you listen to the case you see like um none of the abuse was mentioned in the first case so it makes sense as to why she was given the murder sentence the first time but you can check that out for yourself and you get all the details i won't go too deep in it but i'll give you just a little information in case you are interested in the trial and maybe you're lazy to go and check it out so i'll just like run over it 
and give a brief little thing to tell you what happened to Sally and where she is now. Yeah. Sally was originally found guilty of murder and she was sentenced to life in prison for her first trial. And none of the abuse that she experienced had been mentioned in the first trial. Sally was diagnosed to have emotionally unstable personality disorder and it was at its worst state during her trial. All she is mostly remembered to say when she was asked questions was, I suppose so, I suppose so. It basically gives us the idea like she was out of it. She can't remember carrying the hammer. Like she can't remember putting the hammer into her purse. She can't remember how many times she hit him. Oh, and by the way, she wanted to, after she killed him, she actually tried to commit suicide. And I think the police officers talked her out of it. So years later, after her first trial, is when coercive control became an offense and it was recognized by the justice system. So this gave Sally the opportunity to quash her sentence. That's, that's what they say in the UK, you quash her sentence, I don't know. And at this point, she had been in prison for eight years. She was able to have her sentence changed from murder to manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility. And she was able to be set free with time served. I think she had been in prison for a total of eight years and ten months, just almost just under nine years. Just to note, her sons had been present through the whole process of the trial. Especially her son David is seen a lot in the documentary. They said that James wasn't really um it's, it seems like he was having a harder time with it, James, the younger son. But right now they are happy to have a home. When she was released from prison, both of her sons were there with her and everyone is happy to see her out of prison now she has saved time she saved eight years so at least she was punished for what she did what she did was not right i think that everyone who is trying to change sally's sentence understands that killing a person is wrong and it's never the answer but they just wanted the court to take into consideration the abuse that she went through and the abuse that pushed her to commit the crime that she did. So this is the case of the murder of Richard Challen or a case to kind of understand Sally Challen. I don't want to take away from the fact that Richard was murdered and is a victim in this crime. And I don't think that Sally was right to kill Richard personally violence is never the answer an eye for an eye you know whatever they say i just have an interest into why people do the things that they do and how the minds of these kinds of people work i think taking a look into sally's story can give people insight into what coercive control and mental and emotional abuse can look like we can also learn how to avoid being in this type of relationship or in this case learn what the worst case scenario is of what can happen when a person is in this type of situations by the way if you are in 
this type of a situation or in an abusive relationship whether physical or mental please get some help please get some help even if you're thinking like is this an abusive relationship you're not sure the fact that you're thinking about it ask someone and just get a second opinion it's okay many people are going through the same thing and have gone through the same thing and please find anyway so thank you for listening i am new at this but if you like my content please subscribe for more content and share to anyone who you think might like it i will really appreciate that and see you in the next one bye